Come on. Yep. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Everyman Up and Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Baker, and I'm joined today by Henry Norman. Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, thanks for coming with us. Thanks for sticking with us again. Uh, it's been a, kind of a long week for me, um, but I just want to remind everybody, we are sponsored, all, as always, by Quail Ridge Plantation in Norman Park, Georgia. If you haven't booked a hunt this year and you really want to do some preserve shooting, in southwest georgia uh go to quailridgeplantation.com they've got a number right there on the website you can call and book your hunt today and it's filling up it's filling up yeah um november's already pretty full december's getting there and um usually our busiest months are january and february so now's the time yeah january and february comfortable it's it's pretty it's you know november by the time it's november it's pretty comfortable hunting oh yeah on into through february and you can book a hunt into march if you want to um but that is on the table so give those guys a call and book your hunt today tell them we sent you over um besides that henry how's your season going um pretty good um haven't been hunting much definitely not as much as i would like i'm usually in the deer stand by now um with a bow and next this weekend, I believe, opens up um, muzzleloader season. Oh, okay. And I don't participate in that, so yeah, I, don't I could muzzleloader. I could still get in with my bow, I guess, but that's it's not a high priority right now. I've got a, still got a freezer full of deer meat, so that's not that's not big on the list. Um, yeah, I've really just been doing a lot of prep work at the um, at the plantation, getting jeeps ready to go, changing oil. Air filters, oil filters. When you say Jeeps, we're talking about like CJ five sevens, yeah, pretty old eighties and couple older. couple commandos in there. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of old modified Jeeps, with dog boxes thrown on the back, and um, <laughs> plates covering the uh, radiators. Yeah. yeah. To, so you Gotta can get back home. Them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've just been doing a lot of maintenance, um, running dogs. Yeah, a little of that. Um, this cooler weather's allowed us to especially in the mornings to get get some of those dogs trying to get some weight off of them in the off season and um we've also been doing some work on our uh fly pen yeah yeah um you know just trying to trying to get that cleaned out and ready ready for birds this season yeah so um um the other day i went to run my dogs out there and you were busy medicating the 60 dogs in your kennel i know what it's like keeping up with my dog's medication at my house i've got four how is it keeping up with 60 dogs so it takes a team because if it's one person trying to worm and uh do flea treatment on that many dogs it could take all morning so we try to get try to get a few volunteers to come over and uh and help out so you know one we use like syringes without the needles to kind of dose dose the uh, the dogs up, and we we do it as a team. One person will will load the syringes. One person will go in there and and uh, do a topical flea treatment, and then we'll we'll give them a wormer also. So we kind of try to do them all at once, and we got to do that once a month. So it can. Uh, and that's in addition to cleaning kennels oh, yeah, every day, every day feeding. Um, once a week but they have they have uh automatic feeders 
Yeah. Or I don't know, not not technically automatic feeders. Well, but yeah, yeah, they get uh, free uh, free access food kind there of deal. You go. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because they need it. They're they're athletes, and it's kind of a game of putting as much weight on. Not as much. Some can get out of hand, but a lot of these dogs, like you, want the off season for them to put on a weight because once they start working. Yeah, they, this season the weight comes off pretty quick. Definitely, and especially during the later months of the season, um, they'll get really skinny. They'll, I got you. They can get they can get really skinny and have a lot of you know. It's it's hard to keep weight on them. In fact, we'll at the end of the day we always make them kind of a um, special treat. Yeah, treat bowl of of. Uh, Especially in cold days, you know, we'll we'll add some hot water and yeah, and some goodies to their to cold their days food. and busy weeks. Yeah. Like if you got, you know, back to back to back to back to back bookings, um, sometimes you got to encourage them to eat. Oh yeah, you know, just put on an extra calorie. So a little lard, a little yeah. lard helps that along. And they have long days also. Like uh, you know, they'll be they'll be out in the field pretty much all day so when you get back you really want to try to convince them to eat as much as possible because also they're tired so they're going to want to go straight to the kennel so a lot of times we'll feed them in the dog box and then put them in the kennel and they'll just go straight to sleep (laughs) yeah they work for us real hard and we make sure we take care of them so besides that um we're going to get to some stuff later in this episode that we recorded with uh darrell smith from the gundog notebook yeah good guy Uh, good guy back in august we were able to meet up with him and uh just kind of walk around and do some looking at dogs and checking out some places so um yeah so we'll discover that a little later but we just kind of wanted to give you an update on what we're thinking these days caleb was with us last week kind of updated you on atlas and i this past week um we did a little gun and bird intro for atlas and it went really well awesome yeah he's coming right along i I was telling henry that you know before like the first bird he was kind of like oh what's that thing okay cool 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 and when it flew he was off to the races the second bird we pulled out of the bag he was trying to take caleb down and get it i mean it was he his drive (laughs) is high and that's what we like to see and i think by the third bird we fired a blank and uh there was no looking back and he did fine so it was a hot day um and the birds man they flew incredibly well mm. um good birds from a good supplier we are uh we are blessed in south georgia have many uh bird suppliers you don't have to go too far to find a somebody growing birds for dog training I won't give you any specifics on that. Um, Maybe a new sponsorship coming up. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But, um, yeah, that birds have gone up this year for me. I think they're four and a quarter right now. And uh, what, what to you, what is the value of a, of a bird? I mean, when you talk about – I see people online recently that they act like buying birds is impossible or way too expensive to train their dog so they would just rather take them on a hunt and try it that way well i guess um the factors to consider 
around here at least is there's not a large wild bird population there there they can be found and they can be hunted and they can be you can use them to train dogs but having that con- that element of control is the big thing um knowing where the birds are being able to lead a dog in being able to control that dog before and during the point that you're trying to um fine tune on him um that's that's worth a lot yeah um wild birds you know you may know the general location but you're not going to be able to put a young dog on a lead and and lead him into that wild covey i mean there's a slight possibility that you could do that but and it ain't gonna be singles no yeah so just having that um that ability to to control the environment in which he is being trained is huge um so I mean like I I've never I've never thought about training a dog with with wild birds. Yeah, um to me and if it was between paying like a box of birds which if you're not set up to keep an entire box of birds um a box of birds is like 25 birds typically where I buy them it's about 100 and some change. Uh, I think less than $110 to get you a box of birds. And if it was between $110 of paying for pro training time, which if you can even get it in that small of an increment, or paying $100 for a box of birds, I'd be buying the box of birds all day. Oh, yeah. Well, and the, you know, the thing also to consider is you can get use multiple uses out of the same bird. Um because a lot of these pen raised birds aren't going to fly four or 500 yards off. And that's the last time you'll see them, mm-hmm. you know, they'll fly 50 to a hundred yards. And depending on where you're working that dog, you, you could get them up feasibly, you know, four yeah. or five times work on marking them down. And, yeah. And that's uh, also, that's also helping your, your, uh, wood skills. Yeah, exactly. That's a big, when we take people out on hunts, it's amazing how many people can't see the birds down yeah even a, even one they just shot you know 20 yards from them it's uh yeah it could be they, they they may as well not have even watched the bird to me there's a lot of like uh tangential benefits of being around birds in a controlled environment one is you as a hunter are getting used to the sound of a bird getting up if you haven't had a lot of exposure to that um, it can, it can help because if you're in a wild bird situation, I don't know how many times we've heard birds get up somewhere else unrelated, not that a dog ran them up or anything, but you know, a few birds just got up over here to our right or, or whatever. And somebody has been able to say, Oh, they just got up over there. I just heard a bird. Yeah. So let's go over there. And the other thing is, yeah, I just go back to the like clients being just unaware that birds have gotten up at all. Yeah. They're just set. They're standing there watching the same scene I'm looking at as a guide. And I'm watching the dogs work and talking to them and keeping everybody safe. And if I'm, I don't think it's probably happened, but maybe five or less times where a bird's gotten up and I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. Like I'm pretty much aware of every bird that gets up on a hunt. Yeah, unless it's like <laughs> over the hill. Yeah, I mean it would have to be somewhere <laughs> that I couldn't see him. But 
Um, it, the, you might find this conversation strange, but it happens all the time. That, oh yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, we'll we'll be walking towards a dog on point, and you know, a bird will get up right behind us, and even with ear protection on, it's it's pretty hard to mistake the sound of a, a quail launching into the air. So it's uh, you know, whether a hunter walked it up or maybe another dog bumped it on the way to back the dog that's on point, which is pretty rare also. But, you know, all these things can happen, especially when you're in the woods, you know, dozens, if not, you know, hundred, hundred days out of the year. So it's a. Yeah. God season six months in Georgia. So, I mean, you're, you're in the woods a lot. Yeah, I would say a hundred hundred hunt days a year is not out of the question for me. Probably, maybe even a little more than that. Yeah. So there's just a tremendous amount of value when it we're talking about training and training yourself if you're new to bird hunting about getting on pen raised birds. There are some people who poo poo the use of pen raised birds, and that may or may not come up in our discussion with Terrell, <laughs> uh, but. I think there's, especially if you're new to the game, there's a lot of benefit that you can't get if unless you're a guide, unless you've got it and you've just been around it. Yeah. It's just experience that you can't get any other way, experience for the dog and experience as a hunter. Um, and like Henry said, it it seems expensive when you do it the first time. You pay four and a quarter for a bird, you put him out there your dog gets him up and you might not find him again and you're thinking dang well that was a quick four dollars and a quarter gone but um when you think about the experience that your dog is getting from that versus that's something that a pro trainer is going to do anyway it's that it's you're going to pay for that experience one way or another yeah, and if, if you're blessed with a lot of land and, you know, like a big field to train dogs in, they make uh, recall boxes so you can... You yeah, can Johnny houses. ...feasibly reuse the same birds over and over again. So that's that's also an option to consider. Um, I will be building one this year yeah. for our, our my training ground. If and I, I w- didn't have access to, like, hundreds of birds... <laughs> yeah, true. ...whenever I wanted, I would, I would probably have one of those. And there's birds out on Quail Ridge yeah. a lot. So... And we know that every bird that gets away is is going to get hunted again by somebody. Um, yeah, and you want to, as best you can, uh, release those birds in an area where you are pretty certain that there aren't a good population of wild birds, um, if you can. If you can't, you know, do the best you can, whatever. I know it's not always ideal. Um, yeah, so I was thinking about that the other day. I was, You know what else I was thinking about? How many bird contacts I think Purdy has at this point in her career? So she's five. She's been hunting four seasons. And so I started doing the math, and I ended up with, I want to say like 4,000 birds. She's probably seen 4,000 birds, give or take. Just based on the amount that I guide. Those are rookie numbers. You got to up those I know. And and I'm saying like (laughs) Henry guides a lot more than I do. So I'm thinking about his. Have you ever thought about that? Like how many birds has Queen seen? Oh, gosh. I don't even want to 
contemplate that. I don't I don't have enough fingers or toes yeah. to count that many. Need um, a calculator. <laughs> Scientific calculator. Yeah. Let me bust out the TI eighty four. Yeah. Um but oh gosh. Because so she, Queen is what, in her seventh, eighth season? Yeah. Something around there. And she's just one of those dogs that like if my other dogs are failing, I'll go back to the Jeep and get her and she'll, she'll like it, whether it be a dead bird or a single that we know is there and can't, they can't smell or maybe scent conditions are off. She will find the bird. She is like a bird Hoover vacuum cleaner. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she's, she's been one of my a dogs for a very long time and has found, I would not, I would, I'll, I'll do the math and come back to you on that and just with an estimate, for next episode, but yeah, you figure like they probably see a hundred, like the team of dogs in a day probably sees a hundred birds. Yeah, something around there. So a single dog may three. see, yeah, but an egg dog that you're really leaning on. Yeah, let's say they see twenty five to fifty birds a day. Let's say fifty. I think that's fair for Purdy because I do lean on her pretty hard. I would say for probably for Queen, I would I would if I would use the like a probably closer to thirty five forty just because I have I have Several like a dogs. Well, yeah, and I just I, I I I pretty much stick to the pattern of running them for an hour a piece each hunt, two right. hunts a okay. day. So each yeah. dog gets roughly two hours on the ground per hunt. Mm-hmm. I have to calculate all my hunts, and so I would just divide that hundred by three and. Yeah. So like let's say like let's just say thirty five, that's probably what she's seeing in a hunt. So seventy a day and And out of a month uh you're going probably like twenty days during the Okay. During the busy. So eighty days of sixty how many did you say? Let's just say fifty. Eighty <laughs> eighty days of fifty birds a day. No, you said thirty 35. a day. Thirty five a day. Yeah, just we're guesstimating. getting a phone out. We're getting a phone out. We're doing this. Because um, I think I used some pretty conservative numbers for Purdy. Like, I backed it off. Because I always, I think I guide less than, it seemed like during the season you feel like you're going every day, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm, there's parts of the season, like there's a, probably a month straight where we'll, when, and that's the thing, we never hunt on Sundays. But I would say for the most part, like, I would say at least for four months out of the season, I'm hunting an average of like five days. Yeah. Something like that. While you're calculating, I'd I'd also say that something different that you brought up is that, yeah, so Purdy during the season, she may only hunt three hours a day, like total time on the ground. And some people like, you know, out in the Midwest, you see people who have dogs, it's their only dog, or maybe they have two dogs and that dog's hunting all day well you can't yeah that's insane <laughs> we're about to get the queen's number here queen's body count in a second. <laughs> but, uh, um, there's a couple of different things that you have to keep in mind when you see people who like i've got a dog that can hunt five hours a day yeah well you're not doing that five days a week yeah you would kill that dog i don't care who the dog is um, and I don't even hunt my six dogs five days a week. I'll have to, you know, I'll yeah. see, I'll, I'll yeah. sub in according to how they're looking at the end of a hunt. Like if they're, you know, they're tender footed or 
I look like they look like they need a day. They'll get a day. Like yeah. I don't overwork after day my three. Dogs. After day three, Purdy gets out of the kennel a little slower. Yeah, she doesn't just hop right into the the box, and that's that's when I know like okay, well she's not coming back tomorrow, like she's done. And you just got to be honest with yourself about that. Whether you're a hardcore uh, DIY public land hunter who is like i'm gonna hunt every opportunity i have five days a week you need to be aware that your dog can't go that hard yeah he can't go as hard as you can really and which seems so strange i think some people like but humans are pretty even out of shape humans are pretty endurant oh yeah well a human is the most endurant species there is yeah mainly because we can sweat out of our skin yeah and we can (laughs) i mean we can just walk at a medium pace for a very long time compared to other uh, creatures. And so your dog may look invincible on day one, but by the time you get to like day three and four in a row, they're like, dragging tail. Oh, they're, they are so dragging. If that tail doesn't go up, your dog is needs a day or two or three of rest. All right, let's get to okay, Queen's so estimated I have, number. I may I may have uh, boosted that a little bit after after uh, some math review. Yeah. So after let's assuming I hunt, I get she sees thirty five birds a day, which is very reasonable. Oh, that's, I mean, she that's probably, conservative. Probably that's sees conservative. more than that. Yeah. I'm I'm just assuming I get about a hundred hunt days a year, which yeah. is still pretty out of a possible six times. 30, 240 days. Yeah. You're hunting a hundred. That seems totally reasonable for somebody who not two forty. Did I do that math wrong? Mm-hmm. 180. Yeah. 180. So 180 days, uh, so possible. We're hunting maybe a hundred, a hundred out of those 180 yeah. days. So yeah. that's <laughs> 24,500 birds in her and out of seven seasons. 24,000 birds, folks. And yes, are, is it 99.99999% pen raised birds? Yes. But when you do something over and over and over again like that, that's it's just a testament that's what builds a bird dog is seeing birds. Yeah. It's not, you can, and I'm an advocate. If you don't have time to train your birds, ship them off, get some pro training whatever you got to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the one who judges you for that. I don't think you got to be the person who trains your dog. It's helpful. I think there's a lot of benefit and reward to doing that. But if I had to like, look at my budget for training and how much I'm going to put into this dog, I would budget a good amount for birds. And I don't know. What do you think about this? I'm just going to throw it out there. What do you think about sending your dog to work on a plantation? Um, if you have a good rapport with a guide, that that could be a really good option. Um, even just for like a half season or you know a couple months, because you know there a lot of places are looking for dogs, even if they have to put some work into it. And you know, some people might get a little salty about like, oh. You know, I don't want to put all this work into a dog and then have somebody take it out from under me. Yeah, you know, so sure, that's sure. Obviously, you would have to kind of talk about that ahead of time because we've had that happen before, where someone has given us a dog and then yeah, sharpen them uh, up and 
been an uh, quote unquote Indian giver. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Asked for them back, and then they have like a you know well trained bird dog that they just got for free, pretty that, much. Yeah, didn't even get to work on the plantation at all. Yeah, so you know, um, I mean, if you can swing that, that would be an awesome um, opportunity, and some some people would appreciate that. Um, some guides, like especially young guides, but at the same time, you got to think that they're they're investing their time and their um, part of their career basically into yeah. that dog. Um, so it's a, it's a fine line. I don't, I don't know how many people would be willing to do that. Yeah. But if I knew somebody, if we were tight, I would take on somebody's dog. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. I mean, our friend group, cause it, I'm always looking, you know, a guide string is like six dogs. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and like Henry said, if you're really in the thick of the season, you really need a few more than that to, supplement and give dogs break rotate them in and out so if there's an opportunity to let one of my dogs take a break and let another dog hunt for a week because oh, like sure. what do we say 30 30 birds a day if they hunted five days they're up to 150 contacts yeah i mean more or less so i think it's if you have guide friends maybe approach them about it if they're like no i'm good then leave them alone but I think it's viable. Well, and a lot of times, even those guys that are, you know, that, that may not be the not the option that will work, but those guys are training dogs all the time. So just ask if you can tag along and, you know, maybe throw them some money for the birds or whatever the case may be. But, and, you know, oh, get, yeah. get a little, get some, get some training tips. You know, everybody, you know, it's a lot easier to train a dog with another person. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Especially when it comes to shooting and putting out birds yeah. and. Oh. Someone firing the blank gun or, you know, just, just small things that yeah. it make it, makes it a whole lot easier to have, have two people there, you know, so I'm, I'm always open to someone coming and just hanging out and helping me train dogs. Like that's, it makes me want to go more when there's someone with me. So and I lose my temper less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, like things don't bother me as much if there's somebody else there. Cause you know, if a dog starts goofing off or, you know, it, it ain't all, rainbows and gumdrops out there in dog training land things go wrong okay it's like there are challenges some dogs will make you feel like the best trainer in the world and then yeah. some dogs will make you feel like you have no idea what you're doing because they're going to test everything and when there's somebody else there to me it just like you don't sweat it as much and yeah and like move on like my uh my granddad told me years ago you you can't break a, a dog in a day. Like no. don't try to, don't try to do too much, you know, take your victories. If you're, if you're having multiple defeats, just pack up and come back another day. Like, um, dogs can feed off your energy and, and you mm-hmm. don't want to, you don't want to make it not fun for your dog. That's the biggest thing. Like hunting with your dog should be fun for you, fun for the dog. If it gets to the point where it's not stop. That's my number one mistake as a, as a trainer is like, not just knowing when it's time to like cut, cut it, yeah. pack it up, come back tomorrow. Even if that session, if, if you're five minutes in and the stuff's hitting the fan, just stop. Yeah. I mean, you may have these pre predetermined preconceived goals of what you want to accomplish that day. Don't, 
don't force that on your dog. Don't, you know, it, you're not going to be able to do everything that you want to do. Mm-mm. Your dog's not going to do everything you want him to do. The birds aren't going to cooperate like they should all the time. Like stuff goes wrong. The wind ain't going to blow when you want it to blow. Yeah. And, you the, know, and the wind's going to swirl when you. Oh you know. yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll have a perfect lead into the, where you know a bird is and your dog just won't smell it. Yeah. Or, you know, the, they didn't react to the gunshot the way they did last time. And now they're, now they seem like they're, if, if they, if you're in that gun introduction phase, like you don't just like do it once and then be like, Oh, it's, it's good. You gotta, you gotta make sure that every time you introduce that or every time you train, you're kind of taking that caution and what really watching your dog and, and determining, you know, if, if something's off or something's different about today's training session, yeah, just, I mean, you got to play a lot by ear and really just have that connection with your dog. Know what, know the, you know, learn your dog, know the signs, know when to stop, know when, know when to, I mean, and there's times that they need to be pushed a little harder, but I always err towards backing off than pushing hard. Especially when it's birds in the field. Now, yeah. like you can push, I think a little harder in the yard as far as like obedience, yeah, little stuff. But when it comes to hunting and birds, it's got to be fun for them. Uh, also, if you're new to dogs, dogs will remember stuff. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, it's like that. You can hurt their feelings. Uh, it's hard to like dogs don't get physically hurt very easily, but they get emotionally hurt pretty pretty easily and they and depending on the breed it can be a long time to get that trust back and just know it it takes months to to get a good bird dog or get to a a dog to a point where where you feel comfortable with a lot of you know basic hunting things but it takes like the span of a few seconds to ruin one for, for for life absolutely that's good advice right there guys that is good advice. I, I tell, you know, as I walk with clients and, and people ask me questions about dog training, I tell them, you know, cards off the, you know, cards on the table. My philosophy is that a dog has a lifetime to learn how to get it right. Yeah. Like, dog, if you can get a few basics down good enough to go hunt with me, I'm going to take you hunting. And you've got the rest of your life to make it perfect. And Purdy is five. She's still learning. She's still improving. And she's taking, you know, she gets those teenage years. She kind of takes a step back because uh, she thinks she knows what's going on and know how she wants to do it her way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you got to, you get through that and it's just a lifetime. They're like, I mean, I resist comparing, like treating my dogs like children. Yeah. But they are like, kids in the in the sense that they have good days and bad days they have days where they learn easy and days they have tasks that they learn easily they have tasks that they want to do and tasks that they don't want to do and so henry you're absolutely right about balancing and you know and calling it quits when it's time to call it quits it's seconds to ruin a dog and and i i've I have problems, especially in the later part of the season, after I've been doing it like day in and day out, you know, just getting tired of being in the woods. Cause I mean, like as fun as it is at the beginning of the season, 
if you do it for long enough and you know you're just worn down from walking eight to ten miles a day six days a week yeah it gets to be a job and not even a job it gets to be torture at some point oh yeah so and that's when i'll i'll forget that rule you yeah. know i'll just i'll i'll i'm guilty of uh of just kind of not not necessarily losing my temper but just I don't know, getting getting frustrated to the point yeah. where I'm, I might not do what I need to do in that moment. Yeah, I don't train in February. Yeah, I'm not going to try to teach a dog to do anything in the month of February, possibly March. Yeah. Because at that point, how many shotgun shell boxes full of poop have you scraped out <laughs> of your dog box? How many piles of dog crap have you stepped in? How many how dog many fights have I broken broke up? up? How many times has a client mishandled a gun yeah, around or, you or asked and, me the same question as the yeah, guy the, did, the day before. Have they picked that cotton yet? Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of, cotton is being defoliated and peanuts are being dug up. It really feels like the yep. season's like on us. Oh, man, they, like, were running, they were running eight pickers in one field next to the lodge today. It was a sight. Oh, wow. Um, our time, uh, like we are going to roll some of Darrell's conversation yeah. in here, but... We just want to give you an update, and man, thanks for the the dog train wisdom. I think that's, <laughs> but that's the kind of wisdom you don't get in like how to videos. I mean, it really is a is a mindset. There's also, I mean, there's a lot of how to tips out there. There's, you know, there, but you got to keep in mind. There's also how not to tips that you need to keep in mind. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That we can get, and this is what me and Darrell are going to talk about in the conversations you can get caught up in the romantic Instagram idea of how dog training and bird hunting is supposed to go. Yeah. And I don't want to crap on anybody's parade or anything, but, and I don't, and this is super fun is a super fun thing. I wouldn't do it if it, if it wasn't, I'd find something else to do with my time, but I just feel like, don't set yourself up for disappointment thinking like this is going to go perfect every time. Or this is what's going to happen today. Don't, you know, it's, it's definitely a go with the flow type of sport. It's part of the fun of it is like, you don't know what's going to happen today. And that's the adventure in it to me. And so we're going to talk about that with Darrell. Um, as we walk in the field, we're going to roll that in here. So, Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. All right, so I'm here with Darrell Smith. How you doing, man? Man, I'm good. Just trying to get this old crazy dog. Who are we Uh, looking at here? We just put Vegas up, and we are looking at Jughead. Uh, He is actually... The dog that I got from my buddy uh, from the Black Handlers Club. He gifted him to me. So he's a little over a year and a half old. And this place is open, this part of the WMA. And this is one of my biggest running dogs. So I want to see if he is going to eat this up, eat this area up. What I like about your podcast and what you're doing with the Gun Dog Notebook. And even your articles that you're writing. Thank you. Um, is that you're exposing parts of the bird hunting 
community that are very traditional to South Georgia. Yep. That are very, uh, that have a lot of history behind them and a lot of tradition. So let, how do you balance that tradition with innovation or not even innovation? I don't think we're doing anything new. No, we're not doing anything. But what I'm saying, how do you balance tradition with breaking out of the mold? Because I think this is not the mold. This is not what an old hat would tell you to do. No, it's not. And I think that that there you go. So not only, first of all, always respecting tradition, like yeah. how we do things. Even for me, it goes down even to the dog. Like yeah, yeah. I only use pointers. Only use, will be using setters. I got a little setter puppy that, you yeah. know, Paul Cook. And, you know, having a, a flushing retriever. Like, mm-hmm. whether it be walking, whether it be on a horseback, my dogs need to know how to do that. Um, it's like all of those classic things that people think about hunting in the Red Hills and hunting in the South. That's important to me. You know, learning from my mentors who are yeah. the old hats. Like, they're the old heads. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they have more or less chain you know set the foundation for everything that i'm doing now mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and so it's been it's it's taken those narratives we're talking about narratives and, and those ideas and and like even training <laughs> techniques like a lot of the stuff that they taught me and stuff that was oratory like it wasn't written down anywhere right but we have so many dog training books out there that i used to yeah yeah but i, I pair that with the stuff that these Old black dudes are, are, are teaching me yeah. that have been training dog, bird dogs on plantations for their entire lives. Yeah. And then taking that element, putting it with technology and telling the story through magazines, through the podcast, and adding context and, and adding a voice to an otherwise, you know, a, 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 an otherwise kind of shadowy culture. Like, I was the one shadowing, that, not sneaky, but no, just kind of closed off on the front. It's, it's closed off. It's a, yeah, it's closed off, and the culture down here is very much so on the periphery of the greater bird dog community. It just is. Yeah, I think there's a mystique and a, and a, and a nostalgia about it that people know and are aware of, but I don't think I personally don't think that many people are as tapped into the South today as what they would have been years ago. Well, yeah, I, I have decades this ago. weird, uh, I say weird, but I have kind of a chip on my shoulder, maybe, about although living where bird hunting is a big part of our community and culture here, um, you know, the Red Hills, southwest Georgia area, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm simultaneously in the center and in the mecca of bob white hunting dude you were in in the mecca but somehow i feel like i'm on the fringe when i listen to the narrative that's out there as far as like the the midwest and the and the west i think gets a lot more i mean that might just be my perception no it does i mean to into i think today if you're a guy if you're a hunter from the north that's very popular and i'm just talking about just yeah, yeah. From what I'm seeing in magazines and social media and stuff like that, if you're if you're a grouse hunter from the north, yeah, that's the thing nowadays. Yeah, you cool. know what I'm saying there's a whole vibe there. Everybody, yeah. everybody emulates a look per se. Yeah. Like we all do. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I guess my question is, are you real about it? Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I yes, I very much so perpetuate and, and love and represent the southern aspect of bird dogs. But it, it seems like also if you're a western chucker dude, like, yeah, there's more emphasis in that sector. But I think that's a, a lot of that is because of there's there's a new push for the DIY hunter. Yeah. Which means a lot more public lands access, which means a lot in those places are just better suited for public land. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a lot of public land here in Georgia, but most of Georgia is pretty locked up. Yeah. Most of it is private land. Private land. It's pretty locked up. So the narrative of this DIY hunter is not necessarily as pervasive down here. Yeah. You know, horseback, mule-drawn wagons, which happens, which my buddies do all of that stuff. I've done it, all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. It's wonderful. It's awesome. But that is not DIY. That's... Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? We, if you want to know what Darrell's talking about, go back and listen to episode one when we kind of uh, explore the world of access as far as private, plantation, uh, public, corporate, and uh, public land. So if you want to know kind of the difference between that, go listen to episode one. It's all there. Right. Um, so do you think you were kind of forced into this like out of the box mindset, like being from Atlanta and not having like this at your doorstep? I mean, how much yeah, of that like factored that, into it? That very much so, um, you know, plays into it pretty heavily. It plays into it uh pretty heavily because I don't know a lot of people from Atlanta that know that there's this much public land. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And in my situation, when I got into it, first of all, I started out with a lab. So, you know, going, it was a situation where I started out with a lab and that was the only dog that I I had for two years you know, before I got my other mm-hmm. dogs, but then frankly, I just got tired of doing tower shoots and put out birds. Yeah. I just did. And in Atlanta, it was meeting my mentor, Neil. That, that was the thing that got me, I think down here to Thomasville Okay, was contacting Neil and him saying, Hey, come let's, you know, let's kick it. And I, and he showed me how to work dogs. I saw pointers, but then I also started realizing that there's a lot of public land down here anyway. Yeah. So if I'm coming to visit him, I can also run my dog. You know, I got options down here. Yeah. And and then, and so what ended up happening was I was like, all right, well, my thought is Georgia's a huge state. Huge. Yeah, it's pretty big it's, for the east. It, for the east, it's, it's a yeah. big state. And I was like, all right, so the only public land is in south georgia not really not really like let me check and let me see and i started figuring out that middle georgia had birds yeah you know what i'm saying and big land that your national forest if you look at georgia your national forest lands especially don't start until middle georgia right and then you've got wmas up in the mountains that are going tens of thousands of acres Mm -hmm. you know not I mean, a 7,000-acre WMA. You're not covering uh, that. Like a Lapal River. Oh, you're not covering that in a season. Yeah. There's just no way. Um, unless you got a big hunting party and you all split up. I mean, there's, I guess, ways you could say you've covered it all, but personally, you can't. Yeah. Um, yeah, so keep going. I mean, so yeah, you I found mean, this public land. I find public land, and 
It was actually when the first time we had gotten birds up on a South Georgia WMA was with Shane, matter of fact. Mm-hmm. I was with him and, and Drake's you know, gun dogs? Yeah, Drake's gun dogs. Yeah. And we were both like we we had flushed a couple of cubbies that day, my lab and his shore here. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it just kind of was like, all right, you just start exploring possibilities and I just got, I made it a, a, a concerted effort one season. I remember when I decided I'm just not paying to hunt no more. Yeah. I'm just not. Like, well, there's like a $19. If you get a sportsman license in Georgia, $75. Yeah. yeah. You get everything open. Yep. You get access to all the public land. Right. So if I'm paying to hunt, I might as well pay for a license. Yeah. But I'm not about to pay to keep, you know, $1,000 a day. $1,000 yeah. a day, this and that, or even a few hundred. Yeah, to put out birds. Just to put out birds. Like, I'm just not about to do that. You know what I'm saying? And I, look, I was about to get married, too. Like, I was mm-hmm. 26 when I did this. So, this has been five years. I'm 31 now. And the first year that I started, I got into hunting, my wife and I, my wife and I had just started dating. And she was like, do you really have to spend all this money on, like, to just go do this? And I was like... Hi, maybe if you not. listen to the narrative, the popular narrative, yes. Yeah. But we're kind of saying no. Right. We're saying no, and, and you have to be diligent about doing it, though. Mm-hmm. Because, like, for a good amount of that first season, I didn't find anything. Yeah. And I was also using a lab. The, the other... Look at that group. Oh, yeah. That's a cool... These birds are out here, man. He's dove. Oh, yeah. And let's cut him back loose too. Let's. Uh, yeah, you want to work this hilltop, or you want to go work? Kind I still want to work down okay. here, yeah. and then we'll swing the we'll hilltop. Head that way. Because um, we didn't. He covered. He swept yeah, that over there. Yeah, Jughead made a huge jug. Right. Made a huge sweep, and then uh, it's a popular place today. This is like more cars. I've seen more cars here today than. Yeah, you see in a season. Um, but people might, I think people are just out here scouting dove. I mean, yeah. people are pointing at the dove. Yeah. Oh, dang. They are working. It is just afternoon and, uh, they are, they're working. So, um, so, but yeah, I just think that the, you know, thank you. Yes, yes sir. sir. <laughs> We yeah. we hearing birds and he's sweeping the place. We just ain't got no points yet. He getting we'll get it though. But you know, just scouting around. All yes, right, sir. you too, man. Good you luck. Too. Hey, best of the season. Come on, do it. Um. Whew. Come on. Um. So you mentioned just a second ago that. Good. There's this image that uh-huh. people want to live into, and I fully get that. This is a lifestyle sport. I compare it to fly fishing a lot. Yeah. Kind of a lot. There's like, I fly fish. I like to fly fish. And there's a romanticism there, about right. bird hunting. Mm-hmm. Man, dog, or woman, dog, gun. You know, the shotguns look better. Right. They look prettier. Yeah. And it matters a little bit. You know, There's a whole swag about it. Yeah. Especially in our area, down here in the south, there is, and, and just like flannel is kind of ubiquitous the, to that Northwood. Yeah. 
thing. You know, we have our we've got our wax cotton and, and our quilted, quilted green. Yeah, like and, the, uh, the the button downs and the oxfords and yeah, all that. yeah, yeah. I you mean, know, it's it, just part of the game, and right. we like a good looking stock on our guns. We like mm-hmm. a four tens. Yeah, we yep. like sub gauge guns. Yep. Just bought a twenty eight, by the way. Good deal. Good deal. Um, but how do we balance? Like on a day like today, nothing seems romantic about this. No, it's hot. I mean, and how do you balance the romanticism with the practicality of like, there's one thing to look the part, there's another thing to walk. You well, know. that's it. Like, you know, I wanna, I wanna speak to somebody or or look at somebody or or, or read about somebody that was truly a, an, an accurate representative of their area. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, Look at here. They're just getting up uh, out of this sunflower. Another mm-hmm. drove. Four groups. Uh, That's a red shoulder hawk over there. Let's, uh, <laughs> if anybody cares. Let's just keep pushing them down. Um, you know, Sam, it's important to me not to only have the, the whole looking vibe. Yeah, that's cool. But actually know the area, know the landscape, and to, 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 to be able to say that, you know, I don't walk my home state or region or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And effectively found birds to a standard that I think is fairly high. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Our thing is broke dogs and, and you know, dog, and that mean, meaning steady to wing shot and fall. Yeah. You know, and that takes time, you know, effort and all of that stuff. So sometimes it's not you know quilted this and that and wax cotton sometimes it's brush pants chaps and a t-shirt mm-hmm. <laughs> sweat sweat and walking dog crap right you know and you know it's it's about putting in the time and effort and all of that stuff and and getting it done yeah um we have a lot the thing is we we are we are seemingly more mysterious or alluring or if you want to call it Mm -hmm. you know to the greater community in in a lot of ways yeah but because of the history of the south there's an incredibly high standard for bird dogs down here that is very much so uh, respected and revered Mm -hmm. it's a very high standard of dog work here yeah you know um get up get up um you know, and I think that's part of it. Like being able to to have a dog that can operate on wild birds successfully and effectively, you know, uh, all the time, or the majority of the time at least. I ain't gonna say all the time; that'd be a lie. But the the, the vast majority of times, be successful and effective on wild birds down here. Like, there's nothing that can substitute for that other than boots on the ground sure and you can't make that up yeah can't take it yeah let's go so switching to the other side because you're an artist and a content producer or, or i mean you're like a legit artist you teach <laughs> art you. right yeah. i mean yeah i teach art and i'm represented up in atlanta yeah okay so um yeah what about bird hunting appeals to that side of your brain oh it's 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 the tradition the aesthetics that is so concrete and so definitively like 
purely based on you know the aesthetics of bird hunting like yeah. the dogs you know what i'm saying looking at their uh their confirmation like I, I i was looking at uh leonardo the notebooks of leonardo da vinci and like he had these like studies of like animals and stuff like that and like i like pointers for that reason uh what are we doing here yeah we have a little fork in the road here Gotta... hold on hey he's getting birdie over here jared um you know, seeing a, a dog, I know people sit and say my pointers look like I don't feed them, but no, they really just are running dogs and they're very lean, muscular dogs. Yeah. And I like the look of that because it very much so reminds me of those Da Vinci drawings that I've I was had vets about. call my dogs athletic lean. Yeah. My, yeah. my vets say the same thing. And and I think. I mean, for marathon me run, to, you don't call marathon runners uh, malnourished. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. no. And that's exactly what we have. We have dogs that run like that. And I like that. I like that part of the aesthetics, right? Yeah. Like, as an artist, drawing my dogs is actually a very, very, very cool thing. If it as as just individual studies, yeah. just the confirmation of my dogs, mm-hmm. pointers. You can see everything. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I shoot a, a Spanish four ten and AYA. Yeah. And AYA number four four fifty three, I think. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Good looking gun. You're very nice looking gun. And, and that's, you know, Spanish history and Pablo Picasso. I'm very much so into, like, Picasso's fascination of the matadors. And, like, yeah. why that was so, why they're so, they're dancing with death almost. And it's very eloquent. And I kind of yeah. see that kind of finesse one of my favorite, in bird dogs. One of my favorite books is uh, The Sun Also Rises. The Rise. Sun Also Rises. Yeah, that's yeah. a very Hemingway, good book. Yeah. And a Hemingway book. He was a hunter. Yeah, yeah. He was a fisherman. Incredible hunter. Traveled. Wing Shotgun shoot. enthusiast, so yeah. much so that he uh, famously <laughs> famously took his own life. Yeah, you know. with um, a very nice shotgun. Very, yeah. He had he had that, and you know, but like, it's those things that I really like about you know this here, like quail, like this feels almost painted when I'm down here. Like, mm, yeah, it literally looks like a painting to me. Yeah, and so, but I think it takes the hard work of knowing what's out here for this to be pretty because mm-hmm. if I could see how somebody would come out here and be like this is just an overgrown yeah. field this is just where they burned last year and briars and ragweed and uh, wax myrtle and dog fennel have come up in this this just looks unmanaged right it, it, but to us I think to the well, we can, the bird we hunter this for. is do you to ever, your loud, uh, diagonal right Jarrett do you ever find yourself like just riding down the highway and looking at the woods and be like, "That's I want what's in there?" Yeah, like what, I see it all the time, especially as I get moved from Atlanta to Thomasville. Like as I'm coming down here, I I look at the roads because they become less frequented. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And then the the cover changes. You go from you know whatever oaks and stuff like that, whatever just normally grows up in North Georgia, and it starts to turn yeah. into. A lot more of hard and more pines and, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of hardwoods. And it it starts to spark your curiosity. Damn, that dog is looking good, man. Yeah, he's on that. That dog is he's 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 80 yards right there. Yeah. Uh he is 108. Oh. Um, you know, and so my thing is Everything about wing shooting is, like I said, very, very artistic. It's mm-hmm. the stories. I mean, 
I think people get over get off on telling lies about bird dogs because I think it it, it just it's kind of fun and yeah it's it, part of the it game. gives you another way to be creative and mm-hmm. you can kind of really paint that picture like mm-hmm. you overpaint the picture you know yeah it's something to laugh at yeah I think storytelling is a deeply entrenched part of the hunting community right I mean if you've got to bend the truth a little bit to enhance the flow of the story to right. make the story worth telling go for it we've yep. all done it I think he's tired. It's hot. It's hot. I was like, he just stopped. Look at this. Yeah, like... Two Viceroy butterflies... Mating. Locked. Locked. In a lover's embrace. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of butterflies here. There's like... Because there's a lot of blooming flowers. That's very good for quail. You want that. And this is a... Grasshoppers butterflies. uh, Quail forever cooperate area that we're in uh-huh. so that means public land working with quail forever to create habitat this is a quail this is like a quail area yeah it's, i mean we it, wouldn't it be here like, if it wasn't no it it absolutely yeah. looks like it like i wish you know this is where you want to do your photo shoot with your dog right but these uh, these meadows these larks out here kind of catching my everywhere. attention they're just Dining on all these grasshoppers Uh and but you again, it's they're quail out here, man. I'm just having jug run this edge right here. Yeah. What do you think, man? Like, what do you think is the to to basically tossing your question that you asked me back at you? Like, sure, sure. Why is the whole tradition thing and and all of that stuff important and really undoing the pervasive narrative? Why is that important? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I think there's a tradition from two perspectives. One from a dog handler's perspective, and then there's a tradition from the, what, uh, I can't remember the name of your guest you had, but she called them uh, recreational, co- like, colonists. Yeah. Right? Something like that? Yeah, I think Jude going that. point. Recreational colonists. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was uh, Dr. Uh, Brock. Yeah. Yep. And I love that term because in the industry, it's perfect. Now, I think nowadays, more modern, you've got some buy-in from the people who come to the south to quail hunt. Yeah. There's a little more buy-in than uh, just that. But you still have a perspective from the people who own and train and run dogs, which are typically not your more affluent people. Nope. And then you've got the perspective of the people who pay those people to take them hunting. And I think that's why you have such a disparity in traditions. Mm -hmm. And the more that we hear the stories of the people who own, run, and train these dogs. And when I say own, I don't mean you sign the paper. I mean, you live with, you You take care of. Every day. Yeah. You're the. Oh, here we are. We're on a big creek. Yeah, he was in there um, probably drinking. So, to me, that's a part of it, is telling the story. Come on, Jeff. Telling. Oh. Uh, I think telling the story of yeah, the people yeah, yeah. who... Hey, hey, hey. No! 
No! Yeah, no! Oh, we got some wire grass down here. This is what we want to see. Yeah! Jug! This way! So now, going. I was like, oh, 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 this way. So now we're in wire. This is good wire grass. This too. is very good. Oh, this is promising, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but continue what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. So I think the more we tell yeah. the story of the owner, trainer, handler, who is the one that's doing everything but the shooting traditionally, I think the more we're gonna, the more that story enhances the DIY hunters yep. experience because you're not getting the and although these stories are cool and I love to read them but you're not getting the tourist perspective of a outdoor rider right you're getting the person who lives and breathes it and that's all they think about mm-hmm. you know they're just thinking about okay I didn't find a covey today why not? Why Where were I? they? Right. Um, what could we have done differently? What am, am I going to do next time? Well, and, and I go out, and so the more we hear that story, which is what we're trying to do, uh, talk to more guides, more more dog handlers, more dog trainers that have been in the game for for years, but. Um, the second part to that, and I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. yeah, we got a turn, buddy. Come on. No. Yeah. Let's go. That dog is bold, man. Oh, he pounced on something. He's found mice. Yeah. You see him? Mm-hmm. Hopping. Field mice. Light them up. Yep. Um so the other part of that is tradition versus innovation, right? Mm-hmm. If that that's not the right word. Innovation is not the right word for it, but is um, when I talk to old wild quail hunters, mm-hmm. I'm talking people who did it back in the heyday, in right. the 50s, 60s, 70s. Us hunting on public land is almost a completely different game. Oh, it is to them 1,000% Because it's game. not a find this. Now, I do a lot of hunt. I do a lot of fence line hunting. They're very productive, but you come out to public land, there aren't fences Mm-mm. anymore. Mm-mm. And so, learning how to no! learn how to read the habitat 
and the area i mean when i ask my dad even if you're going to a four thousand acre piece of property where do you start right and he's like i don't know try to find a fence or a food plot or because that's where he would have hunted but i think that's not the game we're playing so taking what you can from tradition but then learning uh because we're looking for a needle in a haystack now. Right. This isn't... This... We are looking for a needle in a haystack and a dog that is yeah. continually... Huh? No, we need to get him back. Just redirect him. You're all right. You notice the wire grass that's in here? Yeah, it looks better. Yeah, but those are kind of my two two sides of that. Yeah. Um, All right. And that and honestly, Darrell, that's what I appreciate you, about your work that you're doing is, you know, where everybody's. Uh, here he is. Here he is. There seems to be a prominent voice, and well, and hey, I'm not I'm not hating on the voice. I think it's a good <laughs> voice to have. That come I, here, dog. Come here. Come here. Come here. Here. Come here. I'd like to see more DIY hunters. I, 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 and I want to see more people trying, just trying new things and yeah. not being locked down. But at the same time, I think we have to paint the realistic picture of what public land wild bird hunting in Georgia is and right. what it's not. Right. And it's a lot of fun and it's open to a lot of people. But it's a lot of hard work. Right. And, and and the work that you're doing is a different voice in the community going back and yeah. talking to these older handlers and the, the guys who have picked up a, a tradition of wild bird hunting. And, right. you know, are they working on private plantations that have tons of wild birds? Some of them? Yeah. Absolutely. But we can take that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And at least use it as a starting point well, it for gives where you a we're standard. launching. Yeah. It, it gives you a legitimate standard in saying, because I don't care how many, the fact that these guys have the experience and, and knowledge of working with so many dogs on exclusively wild birds, well, now you know what a good dog looks like. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, you know what a good dog looks like, and you know that, you know, the value of the lines also that we got coming down here. You're not going to have a good dog any national champion dog has come through the South, period. Yeah. And likely was born in the South. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or it, it, from Mississippi to, to here, but specifically in Georgia, like, we're out here in August. This dog is, is I hadn't had him a year yet, and he I'm teaching him. He's at a wonderful point, but he's got to learn how to run through heat, mm-hmm. how to sort out all of this chlorophyll in this grass, which is terrible on a dog's nose. Yeah, You know, all this green grass and everything like that is terrible. That dog has to learn how to do that. Still figure out if a, if a bird was just there. There are all of these variables. It's tough to hunt down here. Sure. And so, you know, and then it's, it's really tough to hunt down here. Then you've got all of this history that goes on from all of these guys that have, like, that's literally all they could, they had to do. Yeah. Is train dogs. Like, sure. and, and the stakes were high, of course. So like yeah. if the dog wasn't broke or something, then, then there was, there was a negative side of that too. But yeah. because of that pressure, 
you got some of the greatest dogs in the country down here. Yeah. And you no no shade. It's like before there was Instagram. Yeah, like and you could just paint the picture of your dogs that you wanted. Right. Well, and the other thing there about, was there were standards mm-hmm. and the word got around and you staked your kennel yeah on your dog on standard. your reputation it, it didn't matter what instagram said no right because yeah, it, it wasn't the, the american field was instagram yeah. like <laughs> yeah, that was the closest thing we had and if you're like you got this ad up for sale you know what i'm saying in in whatever local newspaper american field or something like that because american field wasn't just field trials it was sure. an outdoorsman's thing and i'm just using that as an example but you know it's one of those things where if your kennel wasn't up to snuff, people talk. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what kind of image. Everybody's dog looks good on point at a certain point in time when the dog is on point. Sure. Three seconds before that, that dog was flagging. I 100% <laughs> posted a picture of a dog who was pointed at nothing. At nothing. <laughs> and, like, that wasn't available back then. Like. <laughs> If your dog pointed back then... It wasn't the point that was the story. It was what it, it produced. Was, it was the production was the of yeah. a covey, yeah. which meant that your dog had to have pointed that bird. Yeah. You know, there's there was no falsifying evidence. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and see, that's the thing. So why would I not go and learn from all of these guys yeah. that are also very much so pressed to continue that tradition? Because really, there was a generation... I think there was a generational gap. Yeah. Like our parents and stuff, they probably did hunt to some degree and so on and so forth, but they were not as... Not 100% did. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> there wasn't a lot of them that were, you know, kind of doing some of the things that we're doing as a generation now. Yeah. They were just hunting. There there, sure. I, there wasn't a whole lot of talk from what I understand about guys way back in the day, our, our parents' age. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of concerted efforts about conservation and things like that. People just hunted. Yeah, true. And, yeah, yeah, the conversation has changed uh, to conservation yeah. big time. I think that's a big part of the I conversation. think it's a huge part of it because the guys before them showed up one thing about conservation. Like, Well, I think when bird numbers started to dip in the south, everybody just switched to deer hunting. Yeah. And then when deer hunting dipped in the south, <laughs> uh, when deer hunting dipped in the south, they change to something else and right then, right and then there was a time where duck hunting was real popular and then it dipped and and deer hunting kind of emerged the the king of the castle right down here and and that's that's awesome and that's all great but like but it did nothing for instead of conserving the yeah. birds that you had you just switched we just switched but then hunting. didn't yeah. think of a solution right until now to build back yeah right yeah and so it's kind of like well the the DIY hunter is naturally going to be more interested or involved in conservation because this is what we got. I almost feel like in hunting articles and videos and what media that this is the age of the adult adult onset hunter mm-hmm. because we all I'm pointing to uh, you know Caleb and Henry and I don't know you guys that well but we all grew up hunting. Right. I mean it was just. That's what you did. You got a BB gun real early. That kind of started it. You, you shot a shotgun real early. That kind of started it. And that narrative is kind of going away mm-hmm. in the media. And now you're picking up it's this story. And that's fine. I, I'm like really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, hey, I welcome out here. Right. We're still not in a time. And I, what's your opinion? 
I don't think we're still in a time where it's going to get too crowded out here for no. I mean, we at least got one or two more seasons before it gets too crowded out here. Um, but no, I don't think we're not going to, in my opinion, we're not going to have enough DIY public land hunters to actually create an issue as far as crowding. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And. Oh, about to rain. Okay, back to the